That was good, wasn't it? Thank you, Judith and Paul and Pima. Um, yeah, as the as I think it's been mentioned, uh, we had a conference. The bar conference was on yesterday. Um, we had uh, it was such a great time. Um, almost five hundred people gathered from all across the north and south, every denomination you could imagine, all worshiping Jesus, and um, and it was it was really good. I uh, ended up during the break got chatting to a to a church leader who's just recently moved into a new area. He was really discouraged because he hadn't seen much happening. Um, and so he decided he was going to join the local rugby team. And uh, and things are a bit better. He's scored a few tries, but still hasn't seen many conversions. Come on, I was I, I really I worked on that an embarrassing amount of time this morning, so I was expecting more. Um, in all seriousness, um, there was uh two of the two of the two of the talks that were given yesterday. Pete Gregg and Charlotte Curran were. Honestly, I know you can. It's the hype of after a a conference, you can like you can get caught up in the emotion, but even still, this morning, still reflecting and hearing, hearing Neville still sensing this this call to pray, um, couldn't help but think of um of where Pete brought us to yesterday in Genesis eighteen, some of the challenges with calling people to pray again. It feels like you've exhausted every preach, every message you could possibly preach on prayer. Was just like seeing Genesis 18 afresh yesterday when when um so the title of Pete's message was invoking and provoking God. Like, oh man, that is a it's a risky title. But he took us to the story of Abraham where because of the because of the sin of the because of the sin of the area that Abraham Abraham was living, they were they inevitably were going to face the consequences of that. And so whenever that was made clear that there was going to be consequences to their sin. There's this, there's this word that caught my attention to reading through the passage. Abraham, even though he'd heard this, and even though we, it was inevitable that this was going to happen, Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And um, and, and as, I, as I was thinking about that where we were worshiping, I thought to myself, I'm so glad Abraham was not Northern Irish. Because there's something about Abraham just like, was just so emboldened. It was bold. He actually said, he actually said, Lord, far be it from you that you would do this. And so if I find 45 or 50 who are righteous, and he kept he kept battling, he kept contending. And he used this language, far be it from you, Lord, that you would do this. It was like he was provoking the Lord. You you can't do this. And he stood, he remained remained standing before the Lord. And um and I know we'll maybe still come with a wee bit of our Northern Irishness on Wednesday night, but there's something in me that's just like we need to we need to invoke, provoke the the Lord to come and to move and call out His promises and them. Just something about that that I'm glad we're just going to go after that again on Wednesday night. Um, and then just if I can, uh, I will inevitably put it up in any sort of WhatsApp group that I'm part of. But Charlotte Curran spoke a message yesterday just about almost just a friendship of Jesus. And one of the most beautiful, powerful, theologically rich talks I've ever heard. And um, and so I 100% commended it to you. Everything within me wanted just to change what I was speaking today and just like completely plagiarize everything that she said. 
really think that there is some stuff that I think that the Lord laid in my heart for this morning that uh, that I'll unashamedly um, refer to what Charlotte uh, spoke on yesterday. Um, over the next to the, this week and maybe definitely next week and maybe even the next, invite your friends because we're going to be talking about sin. That's so exciting. We're going to be talking about sin over the next couple of weeks as that as we've as we've committed ourselves to taking our time as we engage with what the good news is like. And we went back right back to the start. We went right back to Genesis chapter one and chapter two. We went right back to the beginning to talk about the gospel, to talk about the very good news. If you weren't here, just really quickly, the Spirit of God, it's the opening lines of the scriptures where the Spirit of God was hovering over the chaos and the desolation. The Spirit of God was brooding over the chaos and the desolation. This brooding, something, it's, 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 it's like the root word is, is the womb. New life is about to birth. Even though there's chaos and desolation, there's new life is about to birth. And sure enough, then God said, then God said, let there be light. And so these, the people that have penned Genesis are writing this um, in exile. They're writing this in a place of desolation. They're writing this from a place of chaos and darkness. But there's something about their defiant hope that recognizes that light may take may take time to come, uh, but darkness does not overcome. Darkness does not overcome. It cannot overcome. Light always breaks through, and that's good news. And so, whenever we, if we were to fast forward, we could go right to the story of of uh, our introduction to Jesus in John chapter one, where we're told that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. We're told John the Baptist prophesied that the true light was coming into the world. And so it may take time to come, and I wanted to keep almost um, like speaking that over all of us. Darkness cannot overcome. Whatever you're, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, darkness cannot overcome. Light may take time to come, but it will always break through. And if we weren't Northern Irish, we would definitely amen that, and like something within us would be enthused by that. And I'm, 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 I'm assuming by your faces that that you are amen on that. Um, it, we went right back to Genesis 1 and 2, and we were reminded, like, I know it's like I said over and over again, I think I can't, I need to keep hearing it, that every human being imprinted with the image of the divine. Every human being imprinted with his image. Every human being has been given the call and the capacity to exercise dominion. And this word dominion, we're not going to spend time on it today, but so often we've used it as dominating it's not to dominate, it's the, the word is to serve and to protect. I mean, given the call and the capacity to serve and protect, not to dominate. And I, I actually want to just for a few minutes go to Genesis chapter 2, a verse, um, because this is a different account. This is a completely different account of the creation story. Um, can you prefer one over the other? If you can, I prefer this one. Um, if you can't, then just ignore that. Um, the Lord God made the heaven and the earth, uh, Genesis 2, verse 4, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared in the earth, no plant of the field had yet sprung up, 
for the Lord God had sent the rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And then it's this verse. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. I love what times the scripture does that. Because I, I read that this morning. I just felt, my, I just felt I just almost began to weep at the, at the, at the nature of her God. That this is, this, this is such an intimate story of creation. We have Genesis chapter 1, where it's almost like, and then God said, and there was. God said, that there, and there was. God said, and there was. But here is different. Here we have a picture of God, creator of the heavens and the earth, getting down into the muck, getting down into the dirt and into the dust, and being fully immersed in the creation of humanity. There's something so remarkable about that. We see that in the story of Jesus. We see it beautifully played out in the story of Jesus where he gets right down into the muck and the dirt and is intimately fully immersed in the creation of humanity, in all of humanity's story. He doesn't just click his fingers and he exists. He breathes. He breathes his life into us. He's so intimately involved in I think I'm caught by this again because where Charlotte brought us yesterday was like friendship with Jesus. It's reciprocal. So all, all throughout, all throughout the stories of the gospel, we have the disciples who are saying that they're not worthy, and Jesus is insistent. Jesus is insistent that it's friendship that he is after. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And that's what, and I think that's why I'm moved by this today because Jesus is so intimately involved in creating creation he gets down into the muck and the mess of my life my heart and my mind breathes his life because he's so committed to friendship and friendship as Charlotte said is take and give and give and take and that's what and that's what Jesus and that's what Jesus did but I think it's even here in the story when we go right back to the beginning because love shares power and I don't and I think we miss it I know that I miss it because we don't get to, like Judith named our all of our kids. I wasn't involved in that process. I love all of our kids' names. But in the in the ancient Near East, back in the day, and maybe it is really it maybe is important for people, but back here, naming, naming something was was really significant. There was power, there was such power in the act of naming. And so God, with all of creation and, and, and humanity, he gives humanity the power to name. And so they name the animals. Love, love shares power. And we see that, I think, in this story. And we will, we will continue to see it through Jesus' insistence on friendship. And so Genesis 1 and 2 has given us a picture, has given us an image of what shalom looks like. Heart of God. This is what this is what this is his design. This is his dream that that what wholeness and peace and love looks like. Healthy relationships with God, healthy relationships with one another, and healthy relationships. And David's already pointed it out. Healthy relationships with creation. Um, all of that is so important. We see at the beginning, shalom looks like abundance. It looks like an absence of fear. Um, it's where the it's a kingdom that provides for all. It's what shalom looks like, and then we get to Genesis chapter two, verse nine. This was this is what I want to reflect on. 
um, for the time that we have left. Because then we get to Genesis 2, verse 9, and we're introduced to the two trees. First, Genesis 2, verse 9, And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's loads of books that have been written about what about this tree of knowledge and good and evil. I'm not going to spend loads of time talking about that because I just want us um, to, to reflect a wee bit on that this was the only boundary that humanity had in the whole garden. This is the only boundary in place in all of paradise. The only boundary. And in fact, as I was thinking about this over, the, over this week, it is the one place, this tree is the one place where humanity was confronted over and over again with the question, do you love me? Friend, do you love God? Will you trust him? And they were confronted with that every time they seen the tree, every time they were near the tree, the boundary in place was a reminder, was a confrontation of, do you trust me? Do you love me? And I think that is important. I think that boundary is important. And for parents that are in the room, you'll, you'll know that boundaries are, are really important. They're important. It is necessary. Because the, f the foundation, I think, of, of any relationship is, is trust and choice. Like what, is a, what is a love relationship without trust? I would suggest it's broken. A love relationship without trust is broken. What is a love relationship without choice? At its, at its best, I want to be careful, at its best, it's arranged marriage. But at its worst, it's slavery. What is a love relationship without trust and without choice? And so to choose the tree, to choose to break the boundary would be to choose to pursue fulfillment in your own way. It would be to choose the pursuit of shalom and wholeness and peace without God. And so Genesis chapter 3 and introduces us, it shows us the, the choice that humanity made. And I think it's important. It's important that we talk about the fall. It's important that we talk about sin, especially in our context. It's such a huge part of our understanding of what, we've, what the, the gospel that has been passed down to us. We need to talk about it. I, I was listening to a guy recently. He said, uh, somebody approached him in his church. He's a pastor of a church, and somebody approached him and said, with this complaint that you don't preach about sin enough. And I love the guy. I love the pastor's response. He turned to them and said, "Will you tell me your sin, and I'll preach on it?" And he never, he never heard from the, never heard the complaint again. Um. But at the end of at the end of uh, at the end of Genesis chapter one, as we talked about a number of weeks ago. The, re the relationships between God and humanity, relationships between between one another, relationships between humanity and cre creation were declared tov meod. An embarrassing pronunciation of the Hebrew, probably. Declared very good. 
declared very good. But all of that that was declared very good at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3 are crushed. The very good relationships that God declared very good at the beginning in this moment, in this one act, were declared, were, were, were crushed. And humanity chooses to trust its own way, the peace rather than God's. There's something about that that has been our, the pattern ever since. Humanity is chooses to trust its own way to peace rather than God's. Now, so this word sin um, is, uh, in the Hebrew, it's, it's an archery term. An archery term meaning to miss the mark of perfection. That's what, that's what sin is. The word sin means in the Hebrew to miss the mark of perfection. And so if you remember last week or a few weeks ago when we were talking about Tov Miod being this, this very good, we talked about it wasn't that the object itself was very good. It was that the goodness of the relationship between things, so as I've already said, between humanity and God, one another and creation. It's that that was declared very good. It wasn't necessarily the object itself, but it was the relationships between things. And I suppose my, my challenge myself and to, and to all of us as we think about uh, maybe our, our understanding of sin and how we've heard sin presented in, in, the, in the gospel presentations, I think we, we typically seek uh, perfection in a person's character. We, we're, we're after perfection in a person's behavior. But if but if what I'm suggesting is right, Tovmeo speaks of the goodness um, of relationships. So if this is the Hebrew concept of perfection, then sin is anything that breaks the relationships that God calls very good. That makes sense. If the Hebrew perfection, the Hebrew idea of perfection is, or if the Hebrew idea of sin is to miss the mark of perfection, and perfection is the relationship between things, when we typically seek perfection in someone's character or behavior, the Hebrew understanding would have been that uh, sin is anything that breaks the relationships that God called very good at the start. So sin causes separation. Sin is separation. And we see the first cracks in the relationship between God and humanity in Genesis chapter 3, verse 3. The woman, the, the, the serpent has approached the woman and said, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the, from the, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Again, I think we've maybe maybe heard this before, but it just caught my attention again, because um, I need to catch things so many times before it fully lands. That's not what God said. God did not say, don't touch it. God has said, don't eat of it, or you will surely die. And here we have the first cracks in the relationship between God and humanity whenever Humanity distorts, Eve distorts the words that God spoke. 
there's something about this one of the songs that we sang about freedom that it's really interesting here that 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 Eve actually restricts her own freedom and then blames God. I and I think that still happens today that people through through maybe own self-worth or self-doubt or through bad experiences or really unfair circumstances, they they've 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 decided all of the things that they cannot do and they blame God. And I'm not diminishing some of the painful stories that people have, but people restrict their freedom and then blame God. That has been a that feels like that has been a pattern right uh, right from the beginning. And so here is the breakdown. The breakdown, the cracks in the relationship have begun because there is a distrust. There is a distrust of God that leads to choosing our own way to fulfillment and peace. I suppose you could think of some of the ways that maybe you have heard or you've come across people's, what this distrust of God looks like. Maybe people distrust him because they think that he's angry. They've been presented with an angry God. And I, I, I want to say that next, I, I wanted to talk about it today, but if I'm, I find myself still so agitated and angry by the, probably one of the most maybe famous surf, sermons in, uh, in the last two or 300 years by Jonathan Edwards, who I'm sure was a great man, but he preached this sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I find it one of the most horrendous, horrific uh, sermons that I've ever encountered the language that he uses about humanity. I'm like, how could people not distrust that God if they think he's that angry? If he's that disgusted by humanity, how on earth could people trust that God? And so I need to jump down off that because I, I, I'm going to guard my heart enough to be able to talk a wee bit about that next week. I'm not ready to this week, as you can tell. Um, maybe it is the fact that we, we distrust him because he wants to control we distrust him because he is distant. We distrust him because he's restricting our freedom. I don't know, but that is what that is the beginning, the cracks in the relationship. The distrust of God leads to us choosing our own way to fulfillment and peace. And talk about the snowball of sin. Like from this moment until we get to like the the story of Abraham, say like chapter eleven, Genesis eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, like the snowball of sin just has gathered such momentum. We have shalom and wholeness and peace in the garden. Tov me owed very good relationships between humanity and God and one another in creation. It takes one moment of distrusting the character and the nature of God for all other, all of those relationships that were declared very good at the beginning for only 13 chapters later. I know that covers a lot of time, but 13 chapters later, nations are at war. Nations are at war. Separation looks like distrust. It looks like shame. It looks like confusion. The snowball of sin um, we see clearly in the opening chapters of scriptures but the good news and this is what we're going to keep talking about we need to we'll keep getting to that place where the good news is that the rest of scripture even from this moment this is a really low point in our story but from this moment the rest of scripture is god's redeeming redeeming restoring plan to bring back shalom to restore peace and to restore wholeness and that is incredibly good news 
He's an incredibly good God. He's slow to anger. He is rich in love. And so those that have distrusted him because of his anger and his distance, it's not true. It's not who he is. We're going to encounter throughout the rest of the scripture until we reach the pinnacle of Jesus that over and over he's wanting to reveal his heart to redeem and his heart to restore shalom. And so sin is not about personal perfection of self. Like we're never getting there, folks. Like that's not happening this side of eternity. The sin is not about personal perfection of self. It is any act. It is any act that breaks any of the relationships that God said was very good at the beginning. And so I'm going to, f- I'm going to finish. The, the, we could, uh, I know it might not seem very upbeat to be like keeping on doing loads of weeks in sin, but I think this is important. And uh, I'm in no rush. Don't want to cram it all in here just to get it all in. But the antidote to sin I want to suggest the antidote to sin is not personal perfection. It's radical love. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, reminded of these verses last night, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise in the evil and the good and sends rain in the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, whatever, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? I was thinking about that completely off on a tangent. I was uh, was doing a seminar yesterday with with the guys from with the guys from Home for Good and Safe Families. And I've been so challenged by that verse over the last number of weeks because hospitality is really easy with people that we are comfortable with, that we are familiar with that look like us, that talk like us, that think like us. And Jesus is saying here, like, you're doing that, whip de do. Even the pagans do that. Everybody does that. Who doesn't do that? His idea of hospitality, his idea of, of, uh, of, of kingdom living is so much bigger and greater than, than that. Anyway, it's this last verse then. Do not, do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we can't, in terms of our character and our behavior, we can't, it's not like, that's not the perfection that I think we're talking about here. If the Hebrew understanding of perfection is the quality of relationships, then that's what we are after. That is the antidote to sin. Not personal perfection, but radical love. Radical love, loving well. So the guys are going to lead us in one last song, and I know we, we finished off with it. I think uh, in one of the sem- one of the one of the sessions yesterday. Oh, how he loves us! And I and I said to Judith this morning, could we could we sing that? Because be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that refers to how perfectly He loves. To how perfectly He loves. And I think as we continue to talk about the very good news, I don't think I'll be able to avoid some of the stuff that Charlotte brought out yesterday, that he is insistent on friendship. It's not that even just that he that he wants it or that prefer prefers it. He is insistent on friendship. And even when, like Peter, we say we're not worthy, we're not worthy, Jesus is insistent 
them. That's who just perfectly loves. And so we are, I think the challenge for us in, in terms of, of being perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect is to is radical love. The antidote to sin is that. And so let's uh, let's sing that as we as we close, remind ourselves of how he loves us, even in spite of the times that we distrust him, despite the times where we choose to go our own way towards peace and fulfillment. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he loves you perfectly. Thank you.